Welcome to Drinks at Work by Boothby with Sam Bygrave. That's me. This is a show about how you can go about building a creative and rewarding career in and around the world of drinks. My guest on this episode is Orlando Mazzo. Ever since landing in London in 2009, Orlando has worked hard at some very good bars. He talks here a bit about The Player and Milk and Honey in London, two very consequential bars, and you get an insight into just how much work and preparation went into those roles. The things that Orlando learned there have stayed with him. He's now an award-winning bartender with Odeby Melbourne, Dinner by Heston, Lume, and many more top-end Melbourne bars on his resume. These days, he splits his time between the bar consultancy world, which he talks about a little bit here, and his own beautifully packaged bottled cocktail brand, Loro. On this episode, I asked him about what it was he learned in London, what a typical week for him looks like, how he goes about his consultancy work, and how he developed not just the brand for Loro, but the drinks that they went to market with, and the market positioning as well. It's a little longer chat than usual, but that's just because I very much enjoy talking shop with Orlando any chance I get. This is one for those of you who are looking to strike out from behind the bar, whether it's with a product of your own or launching your own business based on your own expertise. And now, my chat with Orlando Marzo. Orlando, thanks for joining me on Drinks at Work from Boothby. Thank you, Sam. It's uh, exciting to uh, be here, and uh, thank you for having me. Looking forward to talking today because uh, you've gone you've gone from being a bartender into now you've got your own um, bottled cocktail brand, Laura. Uh, you also do a fair bit of consultancy and you've worked at some really great bars. So uh, really interested for the chat today. But I thought we might set the table a little bit first and just sort of see briefly, how did you get into the world of bars and bartending in the first place? Great question. I hope you have an hour for this because, uh, uh, you know, Ita- well, let's keep it short. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm Italian. I'm Italian, you know, Sam. I got into bars because I, um, as I mentioned, I'm Italian from the south part of Italy. I grew up in a, in a big family. Uh, my mom is uh, one of uh, one of five sisters and has another six brothers. And my dad is always <laughs> um, making stuff. Uh, he makes wine, which is different from being a winemaker. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> what kind of wine are we talking about? Um, like? To be honest, quite trendy. You know, never seen oak. It's very fresh. It's very juicy. Um, and yeah. no, uh, nothing added to it. Um, it. It's always been that wine up to like five years ago. We actually understood we had a where the talent in the family, uh, you know, that makes, it makes wine, uh, with, uh, with passion sometimes it's, it's not probably what you want to drink all the time, but it is, a <laughs> it is a natural wine that he makes. <laughs> natural wine. There you go. <laughs> so I think I wanted always to work with something that has related to hospitality. You know, my, my mom, particularly, uh, coming from a big family, you know, inviting someone from home is at least, uh, 15 people turning up. And, you know, setting up the table and, you know, organizing and helping her, helping her preparing it. And my dad, you know, sometimes coming back from, from school, uh, can you help me decant this wine or um, from, from Damijan or, you know, putting into a tank and, and things like that. So I kind of, you know, mm. always been around flavors and, and ingredients and, and whatnot. So then I studied hospitality school. In, in my region, when I left hospital, when I finished hospitality school, I've started my career in uh, in Modena, which uh, someone called, yeah. you know, the the, the, the city of uh, slow food and fast cars. Uh, can be more <laughs> quintessentially than than that. Uh, start to work in, in in clubs and and restaurants and whatnot. And yes, I did also a flair bartending course. Um, yes, yeah. yes, you, you know, good. you know, you know, gonna yeah. start somewhere. 
And then I've, um, you know, I travel a little bit around around that region in Emilia Romagna, with um, uh, from from Rimini to to Modena. And then I decided mm. to to go to London because I was so inspired by the tourism, particularly in in Rimini, talking to people from different cultures, different places. And then I in in Europe, let's say the probably the most cosmopolitan town, or at least before Brexit, that was very accessible. <laughs> Uh, that was very accessible to to everyone is uh, you know it is london so and it was always mm. you know always read about um cocktails created in london and bars of london and so i landed in london and uh, when my english was very green i uh, started to work in a restaurant around the city of london and then i ended up learning uh, working at uh, uh, the player which was part of a mm. milk and honey group and then, you know, I worked there for two years, which for London is a very, very long time. Because uh, <laughs> if you think in Australia, the, um, you know, the, the stuff turnover, it is fast. Then in London is uh, super fast. Uh, in fact, yeah. you know, working, working at the player, I arrived as a, as a junior, uh, you know, start to help with, uh, with glasses and whatnot. Um, then I started to make drinks. And then from there, uh, became head bartender and then managed the restaurant, the, 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 the bar, and then I had the pleasure to kind of uh, work between Milk and Honey and the player. So we, within mm. the company, we always swap shift and whatnot. So it was very fascinating because even that was nine years ago. A lot of the stuff that I know and I put in practice those days when particularly I consult and I build a team for restaurants and bars are still very relevant mm. to what we've uh, trained at Milk and Honey. That kind of procedure, yeah. the kind of tensions, the kind of you know garnishes and uh, and whatnot. So just just on milk and honey for some people who might not know it because it's getting on in years now. What what was that place like? Can you describe what a big deal it? Because it was a big deal to work there. It's quite a well known bar. Yes, very well known bar. It was open in the early two thousand, and uh, it was probably the first bar to actually do things properly <laughs> let me formulate that mm. it's uh, you know like <laughs> probably the first one and this is like 20 years ago of like minimal garnishes and really mm. thinking about uh, you know if we do use an ingredient do we know about it uh, can we talk about everything that we have on the back bar if we don't don't bother putting in the back bar temperature glassware the dedication of training that go into creating these bartenders and making drinks in a um at the bar you know we have a we have a seven minutes policy that if you're seven seven minutes you don't you didn't have a cocktail in front of you then you had 10 percent off on your bill yeah. um really really amazing particularly what it got me into it is that everybody in london whether you liked to have, have a drink milk and honey or not because you know it was a speakeasy bar and yes we did play jazz jazz and we did have suspenders as well so not it's not necessarily for everyone, but what, ev what yeah. everyone really agreed on was the amount of training and preparation they got into be a bartender at Rushmore Group. Mm -hmm. And we had something called uh, First Tuesday of the Month, where every Tuesday of the month, every bartender that worked in any bar of the group came together to do a proper training on a particular topic. Uh, whether it was a um, an outside speaker, someone really mm. uh, a master in what they do. So we are training with like Agostino Perrone, Jer Brown, and Anastasia Miller. We are training with Dale DeGroff, so really influenced people yeah. that were like top notch. Some of those trainings that you actually pay to attend to, it tails the cocktail. A bit, you know, 
um, different conventions conventions around the world. And the, the DNA of the company was we want our bartenders to be trained and be aspirational with these people. It's full on, full on. Yes, yes. And it was really amazing <laughs> because before that, if, if I can talk a little bit more into that, before that training, we knew there was Thomas Estes coming to talk about tequila. We got given uh, information about tequila to read. And then we got given a mm. test that the speaker didn't even know. So then when we talk about tequila, right. you know, that person didn't need to tell you that it's made from blue agave and it's made, you know, in these six parts of uh, Mexico region. So you became already prepared. And so you could get yeah. really the most out of that training. So it was really fascinating. That's wonderful. Yeah. So what happened? Where'd you go to after Milk and Honey? So after Milk and Honey, that was working in London at that point for four years. And I got influenced by some of my colleagues at Milk and Honey that were Australians and uh, some others that were not Australians, but they came to Australia. And then at that point in time, I never experienced um, uh, anywhere outside of Europe. So I never traveled outside of Europe. So it was my yeah. early 20s and I was like, you know what, I dream and I keep reading about New York, keep reading about Singapore scene and uh, Australia, like Melbourne and Sydney in particular. And I really like, you know, um, wrote it down. Well, this is my option is New York, Singapore or Australia. And it's like, you know, the, the procedure to go to America is a little bit more complicated than Australia, believe it or not. And then <laughs> I had in, uh, I had this amazing Australian bartenders that were like, oh, you're going to love it. You know, it's, uh, it's really yeah. like you, and it's, uh, you know, the life, uh, the lifestyle, the balance between work and exploration, you're going to love it. So, yeah, so I started to um, really pin down the, the cities that I wanted to uh, to work. And, you know, they came to, to Melbourne. I think Melbourne represents really what I do, you know, art, sports and hospitality. And, yeah, so I landed in Melbourne. I worked at ODV for quite some time. I worked there for two years. Mm. Uh, you know, and since, since then, even prior there, I started to collect memories, you know, ODV, I worked with Greg and Sven, um, really, really inspirational people, particularly on, uh, into the structure and, uh, uh, and training as well, they implement into mm. the business. And, uh, and then after that, I had an opportunity to work with, uh, um, the team at dinner by Heston. So there were Heston Blumenthal were opening, opening a restaurant in town where the cocktail yeah. program was consulted by Tony Conigliaro. So I thought, what a great opportunity to work with a well-known chef, a well-known well-known bartender. So I worked at Dinner by Heston briefly, and then I was very attracted by Lume Restaurant because it was making a little bit of a um, noise around town, these two top two chefs and sommelier team, and they created great energy, opening a restaurant that was talking about Australian ingredients, what Australian cuisine is, but really properly. Mm. And then... You know, they, they, it felt like they wanted to explore the idea of drinks in a very interesting and very serious way. You're like, what do you mean? Because sometimes when a restaurant, when a chef opens a restaurant, it tends to be always food focused. Oh, sorry. When a, yeah. you know, when when a chef opens a restaurant bar, let's say, or a bar even, huh? it tends to be very, yeah. very, very food food focused. And the same with the bartenders. When we when we want to open bars, they have a a food element, you can see that it's still a bartender attached to it. You know what I mean? Where sometimes <laughs> you're just gonna, 
you're just going to embrace it and have that part given to someone, you know? And so yeah. Lume really had that. It's like, you know, I give a blank canvas. It's like, no, we're going to, if we're going to talk tea and we're going to have 11 teas on the menu, whatever it was, we need to have a tea expert. It can't just be me going around and trying to learn about right. tea. Yeah. So that was really um, appealing to my eyes. And how do you find it? How many tea experts are there out there? Uh, not many. You find out pretty quickly. Uh, <laughs> and I worked at Lume for quite some time, uh, for for three years. I worked at Lume when when Lume was raw, because when you open a restaurant, it's like you launch the first big ship into the ocean. You know, you need to kind of yeah. bounce around a little bit and then find its own identity. As much as you can plan sure. it, um, you never really know what the proper shape is right so i wor- never really survives until you open the doors you know that first idea exactly. you've always got to tweak exactly it. always yeah. always always like every day to be honest and then you know i worked at lume when everyone kind of hated us when everyone started to like us and when everyone loved us because when the restaurant <laughs> the restaurant opened it it was like two chefs was like ah oh, you know f you we don't do these things this way we actually do it properly foraging and this and that and it's like ah oh. right. And then Lume was my last kind of on service, uh, if you can yeah. define so, uh, place, yeah, workplace. Right. So, what does your sort of week look like these days? Because you have, uh, you know, a consultancy uh, business that you do, uh, and then you also have Laura Drinks as well. Where does most of your attention go? What, what, like, is it mostly on the consultancy, mostly on Laura, or does it change all the time? Uh, it does not. I'm trying to. I, th- I think the best way to to put to put something in in a line and and reach goals is actually to create a kind of a structure. And if you create mm. a structure that has a plan and also allow a little bit of freedom, uh, because you always need to have that kind of freedom. So it's freedom within discipline, you know. So my dedication right. weekly is mainly is mainly Loro. is mainly what I do. But I also allow consulting. It's actually quite interesting how the two worlds are merging together. Because before I thought, yeah. you know what, on Monday I do you know, 20% of my week or 20% of what I want to do will be consulting. And then the rest of the week will be that. But that can't really work as well. Because what about if you get an email, if you get a meeting mm. of Laura on a Monday? Or opposite, if you're, your consulting needs to happen on Thursday. So... Yeah. The way I started to actually embrace the two is that I noticed that a lot of venues, when they want you know, my expertise, my guidance in designing a bar, creating a team, and creating mm. a cocktail list and a, and a cocktail theme for that bar, sometimes Laura can be beneficial because, right. you know, uh, what do you do when you have an event? And we have countless of events in Lume when people – like, uh, can we have a martini on arrival? Because my, you know, my, my bride loves, uh, loves martinis. Like, ah, oh, we can if it's not at least 20 because we can't spare a bartender. We can't do that. Now, yes, we can. You know, always, yeah. always yes, because we have, uh, we have them ready. We have great cocktails ready to serve at the hand yeah. of anyone. As long as you can yeah. talk about it, you can serve it. So, that's yeah. That's my week. My week normally I kind of spread it between like at least like twenty eighty. Um, yeah. yeah. So when it, before we get to Laura, just on the consultancy thing, how does that work? Is it people approach you, and what what are the kind of things that 
they get you on board to do? <laughs> so, it's a $10 million question, Sam. Every day, every day <laughs> there is something to learn about consulting. Every, every day. Because <laughs> at the beginning, uh, you know, as, as a bartender, um, you come out the bar and say, okay, I'm a consultant. Then you see some people that consult in the very early age of uh, early 20s. It's like, oh, that's an interesting consulting age. But, uh, you know, sometimes <laughs> I actually do look at myself. I'm like, am I the best person to consult in some, you know, health and safety procedure, for example? Right. I'm the best person to consult, you know, I believe at least, you know, some drink creation, see how we can push the boundaries of certain drinks and certain things. But there is some, some things that you've got to mm. be, also careful about when you say you're a bar consultant because then the business might approach you from every single angle whether it's hygiene whether it's health and safety whether it's like ongoing training and whatnot so normally it comes uh let's say purely because you know the accolade we want you to create these amazing drinks that we see in we love to have you in we love to see what you can do right the challenges are they often um, you know, not everyone can drive a Formula One car and not everyone should be driving right. a Formula One car because you've seen, you know, some cocktails that are distilled and whatnot. You're after that formula. However, it's not just yeah. that formula liquid that creates that beautiful experience. It is the glass. It is how the bar is designed. You know, yeah. if I, sometime uh, um, I get in consulting, it's like, oh, we need, uh, we need to open in a, in a month time. Oh, so the bars has been designed, you know. Um, uh, so then I, I need to go and have a look how the stations, uh, because the station will dictate what kind of drinks we're going to be serving. Right. Because normally right. uh, a restaurant, a restaurateur is on recipes like he's going to talk to a chef and he's going to talk to a chef and the chef creates the menu and the style mm. of the food and that style of the food dictates the shape of the kitchen. Why would you have a okay. pizza oven if you don't have to cook pizza? Why would you have a, a boiler? Why would you have an eight, uh, you know, uh, walks fire thing if you don't do For that sure. cuisine, right? But in, in bars, yeah. every restaurant, and I hope every restaurateur will listen to this podcast. Normally, they arrive. So do I. Yeah. They arrive almost <laughs> too late. It seems like they look at the aesthetics of the bar and from – sitting on that side of the bar. They don't ever seem to look inside the bar or, you know, where, where the bin might go, for instance. hundred <laughs> percent. And it's interesting yeah. when then you look at the numbers and, you know, the, the most profit actually comes from beverage. Um, mm. And, uh, you know, the bar is like, oh, we're going to put a beautiful 12 meters long bar. Everyone wants a 12 meter long bar. And it's not all, the only thing that you need to open a bar. <laughs> Yeah, in fact, no. I'm actually trying to remove bars, funny enough. And, uh, you know, the, 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 yeah. the most beautiful thing I connect here with Laura again that I learned when I was in Lume is like most of the restaurant might not even need a bar and a bartender. Because then we comes with the, all the hierarchy that you need a bar manager, you need two bar supervisors, mm. you need that, you need that. And it's like, does a restaurant, does it, does it, does it need that all package, you know? Yeah. Why, why when someone asks for a drink and you are on the floor and some, some bars serve, you know, 80% of the people, 90% of the people on the floor. So only 10% of the people will actually sit at the bar and engage with the bartender, yeah. you know? And so let's get on to Laura. Um, 
I'm probably saying it wrong. How do you say it? Exactly as you said. Exactly <laughs> as you said. Can you give us the elevator pitch for that? What's the, the short sort of reason for this being? What's the idea behind Laura? Yeah, Laura is about creating accessible, world-class cocktail experiences enjoyed anywhere at any time. And um, Laura is a brainchild that was born particularly, again, when I was working in these very uh, important, let's call it important restaurant because it is very mo- it's much more annoying. There's <laughs> this like Michelin star. It just, just comes with a package. They are sophisticated. Yeah. Sometimes they can come across as pretentious. You know, you not everyone could walk walk into Lume and this is one other thing I struggle when I was working there wow. not many bartenders could come to see me because you know you have a big name and the you know the restaurant is set up in certain things and there is a decor element that is very um, uh, sometimes unapproachable however cocktails don't have to be that way so no. we had we created for two main two kind of you know, uh, uh, challenges that I explored, right? So sometimes I arrive in at the table with this beautiful martini where we used to distill precipitated chalk and a different, you know, distilled water, two types of dry vermouth, three types of dry vermouth, one gin, yeah. you know, measure to the exact percentage of dilution that we wanted. And people would go like, oh my God, this is amazing. And, you know, firstly, Sam, because I know that you pay attention to this a lot when you and I sit at the bar, Firstly, it comes right away. No matter how long, how good a drink is, mm. passing that five, seven minutes mark, the most amazing drink start to take minus because you know it's, yeah. it's oh, you know you're starting from behind. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. If it takes fifteen minutes, oh yeah, sure, the body's busy, but like you know, as much as you pay attention to the detail to the tap they use in the toilet or the the, the soap they use, why why is this not in mm. front of me in eight minutes maximum? You know, and so, and then people were like, we could talk about how the cocktail was created while we were, while they were sipping it. And while they were sipping, they were like, oh my God, that martini was one of the best martini I ever had. I'm getting married in three months. I won that for my event, right? And then when you go to that event, again, people will go like, oh, can't do a martini because it's 300 people. We require like uh, 50 bartenders to make, you know at the venue so sure. and then we were like oh no we can't do it because it's only here at, at dinner behesson or at lume we can't we can't serve that and then you yeah. know same, same stories oh my it's my uh, grandma's birthday we're doing a big gathering at home can we have the negroni oh no it's just here it's not that so in my mind you know like it was purely driven because guests really were struggling to find a top uh experience outside of yeah. the bar there was already yeah. done. And this is, I found, you know, I face people, they drink, you know, $1,000 bottle of whiskey and, you know, mm-hmm. $500 bottle of wine. And yet when they are there to mix it, it becomes a struggle. Well, because it is, it is a craftsmanship, you know? And so in the, while we're here and talking about this, in the marketing world, there are brands that create an amazing package and they have you know you you know we know how much they spend in terms of coloring positioning symmetry of the bottle designing beautiful experiences sometimes you know from the entry level whiskey to the strategy behind it to the 10 years old the 20 years old yeah. the 30 years old it comes with a beautiful box with a velvet 
uh, inside with three notes with a book in your name on it and cost a thousand dollars. And when it comes to produce a made a well-made drink, they go down. Oh, let's put in a can. Let's put additives, sugar, whatnot, whatever. You know. So they're like, sure. oh, okay, that's interesting. So there is that kind of gap that we saw that people really wanted a top experience when not having a bartender at home. Yeah. And so, you, and you knew there was this demand for having worked in those kind of top end places. As Absolutely. Well, so. And don't get me wrong. This was yeah. like, you know, I had this in my mind for quite some time. Uh, so tell us about what, what are the, the various SKUs you've got of Laura at the moment? In the collection, we have four. They are the main cocktails in the collection at the moment. We have an olive martini. Mm. We have a bergamot yep. negroni, a cherry and cacao Manhattan and a coffee cocktail. And yeah, okay. each of them, like, they, they are an expression of a moment and, and uh, that you can celebrate, um, you know, outside of the bar, you know, like martini, perfect aperitif, Negroni Manhattan yeah. can be an aperitif or a digestive, or also working really well when you entertain people at home, you have charcuterie, you have cheeses, you make some pasta, some mm. roast and whatnot, and then a coffee cocktail to you know, uh, get the party started or keep it going. Let's be honest. <laughs> keep it going, indeed. Where, where can people get them? Do they buy them through you? Or are you in, you're in retail as well? Yes, we are. We, they can buy online, uh, nationally and internationally through uh, drinksbyloro.com. They can also, yeah. uh, in, in Australia, distribute it uh, online also by Black Arts or in any Black Arts, yeah. uh, Black Arts and Sparrow shop. Uh, in uh, South Melbourne, we have uh, Le Pont or Santali, Casa de Venus, places where people attention to you know, well-made uh, drinks and well-made food is, is served, you know. Mm. Yeah. Um, how, did it, how long did it take you to sort of go from this idea to operationalizing it? I assume that you didn't, um, you know, spend tens of millions of dollars on a, a bottling plant yourself, I assume you're probably getting it through someone else? Uh, yes, not, we haven't spent $10 million, not, not yet. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but um, uh, yes, we, it, it took some time because, um, you know, uh, the, the level that I wanted to get the product in, uh, in, in the market, let's call it, uh, was not just, yeah. Um, oh yeah, cool, let's do it. Particularly with the lockdown in between, we actually put the brakes on because we didn't want these like, oh, great, during lockdown, bartender, oh, yeah, cool, every day, blah, blah, blah. We wanted to have like a, yeah. the package needed to speak the ingredients and, you know, the the branding, the, the colors that we use. So we, we didn't really rush it. And there is a lot of attention that goes in creating something in, in a bottle. You know, some uh, I, I learned it and I heard it from uh, many people. Um locally and internationally but you never understand it until you actually uh, do it because there is a lot of bottles in the market there is a lot of cups there you know there is a lot mm. of colors that you can use and um so it, at the end it took about 18 months did you use someone to sort of supply you these kind of designs or did you have a, a did you have a clear idea of what you wanted it to look like from the get-go or was it something you needed to to workshop uh, yes, yes and no. Like, uh, yes, because we, you know, we were quite clear on what the brand want position was. And, you know, we, we wanted the, the, the package of designing that really explains what is in my head and, 
what is in other people's hands once they have it, you know. And then mm. we're very, very lucky to work with uh, Jack Hawkins, which is a, a mate and a great uh, creative director, particularly in the beverage industry. It's worked with... Uh, mm. With uh, um, you know, with Star Wars, the Never Never, a couple of breweries, and uh, yeah, he's he really understood uh, me and uh, the brand plan, and uh, yeah, that that kind of speed up the process a little bit. A lot of bartenders who might be listening to this are probably batch cocktails themselves, um, but batching it for the bar that's going to be served in like you know the next week or two or something. The challenges there, uh, well, the challenges for doing this in retail, where it's going to sit on maybe a shelf. A store shelf for a while i imagine uh, something else right how did you go about approaching that and how did you know how to do this to start with or how'd you go learning about it if you didn't well I, a, a little bit of expertise uh, again was coming from the culinary experience they had in in this restaurant um and right. yeah so things like in 2016 we started to use uh verjuice in uh, in creating uh, uh acid into into cocktails you know we started to see that yeah. carbonation was benefiting from a, co- a combination of acid or pasteurized juice or clarified juice to use those things uh shelf stable yeah. and um so that was a challenge uh in uh, in a way though uh, another challenge that we had was mainly creating that collection because now it's very easy and it kind of makes sense it's like oh cool he has a martini there is a an agronia manhattan and a coffee right so aperitif digestive and yeah two in between but it trust me it was very hard for me to pin down to four cocktails you know and i still i think uh, on a weekly basis it's like cool when are we going to launch an old-fashioned and why do we need it do people love it oh no you see we've done that we speak at this event and people don't really like it or people want it really fruity or people want it, uh, don't know what it is. Okay. Let's pause it. Why we don't have a gimlet on the, on, on it. So, yeah. Um, how did you decide which ones you want? Exactly. What was was the decision making process? The decision making process, I kind of needed to take, um, I needed to wear a different hat in many aspects of the business, let's call it, because it is very hard to understand what you want to do and what people are going to do with this product, right? So, yeah. um, you know, necessar- not necessarily everything that I drink, most of the people will drink, you know, and a bartender will tend to create mm-hmm. things because our palate is developed, you know, martini, they are very, very dry or old fashioned, they're made with a, a, a higher strength whiskey and whatnot. So I needed to understand mm-hmm. what people will do with this cocktail, which is mainly entertain people at home, having it with food right. around it. You know, so having something that is versatile, that if someone will get a Negroni, would not be like, oh, my God, this is so Italian, so bitter, it's so, you know. <laughs> and it's like, oh, yeah, because it's... This is Orlando with a yeah, Negroni. Yeah, exactly. It's like, no. <laughs> so Italian. Yeah. And, and so they needed to have a little bit of inclusivity in, uh, in the range and in its own recipes yeah. as well. But then again, people have such wildly different palates as well. Is that why you've got... I guess the four different ones, do they cover, do you think they cover different bases for different parts of the community? Or, I, I think so. Or is this, is this for like people who are really into cocktails? Uh, a little bit of both. Like if you look in the, you know, the top 10 uh, drinks um, drunk last year, the cocktails that we have in our collection are part of it. And, uh, you know, mm. like Negroni um, is, uh, it is getting very, very popular. 
whether you like a sbagliato with prosecco in it or, or just a classic <laughs> Negroni. Uh, and, you know, martinis are appearing uh, very, very fashionable again. A lot of people... Yeah, everyone's drinking them at the exactly. moment. Exactly. It's crazy. I, lo- I love yeah. it because I, I feel still there is people that like the idea of having a martini, but not necessarily yeah. understand what it is. And, you know, I always say it's like your first dress or your first suit. You don't think that, you know, you're like, oh, suits are not for me or dresses are not for me. But then until you have a suit, they actually suit you. Then you decide yeah. what your martini is, you know. So our martini, for instance, mm. it is on the wet side. So he has um, mm. a, a greater amount of, you know, a higher amount of vermouth than a, than a dry martini. But it's yeah. interesting because you're not stirring it right there. And when, when we were trialing it at the beginning, we we're like, oh, cool, let's, let's stir down five, six, seven different options. Like, but this is not how people drink yeah. at home. So we needed to go back right. and like actually dilute it, put it in the fridge, put it in the freezer, see yeah. how people will mess up. Because on the bottle we said put it in the freezer and chill, put a shield over a, um, uh, over, sorry, put, put it in the freezer for an hour and put over a yeah. chilled glass. I want to see it. Those people are going to grab it from home. Like they're going to come back home. It's a Tuesday night. I am wrecked. I just want a martini right here, right now. They might not have the time, you know? And so we kind of put yeah. these things in consideration as well. That doesn't, you know, then you don't have the eyes that you have in a bar. You don't have the glassware that you have mm. in a bar. So that is the, yeah, yeah. The perfect scenario and the workable scenarios. Right. Um, where do you want to take Laura as a brand? Like, do you want to have 25 different SKUs or... Uh, is this a stepping stone or something else? Or, you know, is there world domination on the cards? Do you want to get it overseas? How far do you think you can take it? Wow. You're like my brand person, uh, Sam. <laughs> should, <laughs> we should talk for, more often. Um, so firstly, the first question about the SKUs. Laura, I will never... It, it's about an idea started from myself as a bartender. I will never take that away. I, in the decision that we make with the spirits. A lot of people ask, oh, because you work with this brand, you're going to have this brand on. No, exactly as I made that decision in Aval, I never been a, an mm. ambassador just for a gene, just for an aperitif, but rather been an ambassador for the industry well drinking. Mm. The same with Loro. We love to continue to work with, with brands. We just done a, collab- a collaboration with Campari. We done a pop-up bar with Supernormal here in town. So working with different brands, working with different spirits, that's, what excite me and that's how it should be exciting in working in a bar right as long as those yeah. spirits are great always always taste first yeah then when it comes into skews uh, i'm probably gonna shoot myself uh here because like we don't want to <laughs> you know we don't want to create 25 million skews however we don't want to kill the creativity of having a great bartender's team in the team and uh, um, be restricted by our own rules. Because this is another thing that I look in mm-hmm. bars. It's like, no, cool, we're going to launch for this. For the next five years, we're going to talk about olive martini, cherry and cacao Manhattan and that. So firstly, I'm bored because, you know, I buy, <laughs> I already buy ingredients that I want to release later on in, uh, in uh, around Easter. We're talking about buying, buying bottle and uh, certain ingredients because we want to do certain things. So 
we will have expression and I want people to look at Loro like in his an, an online bar, if you wish, you know, and okay. in, in a way, and uh, I want to make it clear because we will have a lot of bartenders uh, listening to this and hopefully we will still have more uh, and they're not going to tune off because I'm, I'm not trying to kill the bar world in a way like the bar will always be the best and most important oh, yeah. stage because the bar is your is your artist on a on the MCG playing the best tunes is packed best music the anticipation of going to the bar the queue at the at the front you know the, the team the experience yeah. right and the the bottle cocktail is your Spotify you want a little bit of a tease at home you're like oh my god let me dim the light Sam gotcha. is coming with his partner. I prepared some beautiful yeah. tart. I I cured some uh, vegetable, and here we have an olive martini to begin our dinner. You know, so yeah. not trying to kill the industry, but having something that is prep heavy and service friendly. Whether you are in hospitality or whether you are a home entertainer, that's what Laura is. And then, when you ask about world domination, that's uh, it's very scary. It's very <laughs> scary when you say domination. We are. <laughs> It's very fascinating because as soon as we went to, to market and people are still discovering us, so we did get uh, straight away some great um, attention from from certain export uh, countries. But I do, mm-hmm. and I, as much as I want to run there, um, you know, my very, at the moment, immature brand expertise, uh, which is good to have because it, it is putting me in some breaks that are, uh, I wouldn't have taken uh, some time ago, you know. It is very, very important right. to grow uh, step by step and making sure that your move uh, 14, uh, you, don't, you don't do a move 14 when you have moved three to go. You take a step at a time. Yeah. When in the market, as you, as you described and, and asked me, there is a lot of mm. products. And how do you yeah. walk in that savanna of a big bottle shop and ask the mm. person there that little flower there that is called Loro, you know, cause at the moment, yeah. at the moment uh, it's, it's, it's a new brand. We are 10 months old and I like it because some people are like, Oh, where are you going to go? Where, where is the next export? It's like, people are looking at us and the, you know, at the moment creating something, you need to have that pressure that you need to grow quickly and you get in, you need to have investment and you need yeah. to scale. What is your plan? You're going to cut, are you planning to sell it in five years? I'm like, Oh, done. Why all of this pressure? Like, you know, people, yeah. I, I, you know, I get mentored and by listening and watching great brands such as particularly locally, such as four pillars, such as star world, you know, I love that Matt and Stu, they were the, the, the forefront of, of, of the brand coming into bars, you know, and when you ask some people like, Oh yeah, for pillars, they launched a couple of years ago. Not at all. It's eight, nine years mm. ago. So it takes time yeah. to develop something that has, that has roots. And, uh, we don't b- want to be everywhere, uh, tomorrow, but we prefer to be in great places in five years. Okay. Before I let you go, I just want to ask you what makes a great bar for Orlando Marto. What's, what do you look for when you walk into a bar? What are the things in a bar that say to you, wow, this is something special? Amazing. What a, what a great moment to ask this question as well. Coming out of like a marathon of uh, celebration of prices worldwide and locally, you know, um, <laughs> a balance of reality and concept, 
is what fascinates me. Uh, whether whether right. it's a bar or whether it's a, a menu or whether it's an actual cocktail. Um, because that beautiful romance, uh, we have created these because of that. It, it really works amazing when it's all integrated and it's graven inside the building and inside the team and everyone around it. When there is a little mm. bit of disjoint, whether you, know, you walk in a venue and I like to bring restaurant again, just not to be uh, celebrating some bars and offending some others, right? So yeah, apparently you hate restaurants. So <laughs> <laughs> no, it's because uh, I'm joking. Yeah, I'm joking. <laughs> because sometimes you have restaurant where you know Sam is the chef and he's there and he works. He works there every night and nothing move until Sam says yeah. that. Or some, yeah. which is also okay. And some others is like, well, Sam has created this restaurant. I can see through the drink that is Sam's mind. I, I can see Sam screamed and graffiti all over the pr- the place when Sam is not here. Yeah, that were that is my goal, and I think relates to the first question you had: what, How do you? What is the consulting? What is what is the? How do I accomplish that at best? Is like when when you see that in a bar that really works together, whether it's a hotel bar and it has a really sense of purpose. I think that kind of will. They often we you know we use as a cliche. Well, is your all staff team is up to speed to what we want to do with mm. the bar? You know, are they? Uh, mm. I'm gonna be a little bit ash here, right? Are the staff like yeah. groomed and dressed appropriately? Are they like yeah. the guest experience? Is is it right? Is it just scripted? Is you know sometimes we do put mm. our own. Um, barriers like oh we here we change menu every week it's like do you because sometimes because you change a cocktail every week you doesn't mean there's the best cocktail you kept present in front of me yeah I want the best exactly I want I want the one that you've worked on for exactly years. right it's like uh, it's like Jerry Jerry Seinfeld talks about his comedy and he'll do he'll do his same bits over and over and over and over again because he's because they're that good because he's worked on them for so long he's made he's told those jokes a thousand times that's why they're great he doesn't necessarily want to hear the new stuff he wants to hear the best yes exactly it's like again like not to mention restaurant otherwise you think i want to open a restaurant but like let's let's say like a like an artist you know you want to see the hero piece and then the new things that is coming up you know but then if he just produces things because they're coming up because he's, he's foraging because blah 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 not necessarily are the best interpretation and i've seen it like I've actually stumbled across these these mistakes. Um, Sometimes creating a menu because the season is changing, and like people are like, oh, but what happened to that beautiful martini? Oh, we changed it. Now we have a, mm. a forage martini. It's like, oh yeah, still need some work on it. So like, I'm thinking actually yeah. about it. You know, this is a great note a note yeah. to take that I think about these a lot. You know what? Don't think about summer because it's almost too late. Think about what you're gonna do in autumn. Yeah. And you know, sometimes right. bartenders are like, we're going to change the menu. And it took, I remember, again, a mistake that I've done, changing the entire menu in a venue that I worked here in Melbourne. And it took us four or five yeah. months. I'm like, dude, four or five months, a builder can uh, write down the foundation of, of a skyscraper. Like, we're still creating yeah. drinks. Like, come on, yeah. if it takes five months, it's a long time to yeah. create 10 drinks on the menu. So it's like, you know, rather than change that all the time, why don't you have a never changing menu? Like it changes every time. Like you have your hero 
And it's like, you know what, that Bellini that was made with now jasmine and, and hibiscus, in, in, it transformed mm. into a spritz with like apricot and beeswax in, in autumn. And then like, right. yeah, and then you implement this kind of idea that changes and your stuff is part of it. So this is what I look into. By. And then inclusivity and creativity, it's another big thing, whether it's inclusivity in spirits, whether it's inclusivity in who you work with and collaborate with. You know, when you mm. do guest shift, when you do uh, collaborations and things like that, they make actual sense for the bar. And those bars that have these great awards do it very, very well. You know, and uh, some yeah. bars, they don't have their awards. They might want their awards, but then can't be bothered sometime to organize their schedule of, of you know, what to do in six months because you traveling and, and doing things all over and over and over again does take time. And uh, it takes planning. Exactly. Well, I think we covered quite a lot there, Orlando, and I really enjoyed that. I could do this for another hour. I know, <laughs> but let's grab a martini over the bar next. <laughs> that sounds good. That sounds good. Thank you very much for talking to me on Drinks at Work. Thank you for having me, Sam. Really, really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks to Orlando again for the chat, and thank you to you for listening. If you're enjoying these podcasts, please share them with a friend or give us a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get yours. If you leave a review as well, that always helps get the word out. I really appreciate your support. Until next time, this has been Drinks at Work from Boothby.